Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Good morning. Happy opening day to you. This is RP3 and Company. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parts III. I'm joined inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette by the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow. We've got a good show lined up for you today. Going to tackle a ton of different topics. We're going to talk Saints and Pels with Les East, who joins us every Thursday at 8 o'clock. We're going to talk how to improve your golf swing with our guy, Thomas Wartell from Skill Masters at 8.15, but those are the only guests we have today. We want to hear from you. I'm leaving town. I'm going to be doing the show live from Big D tomorrow. So D'Lo and I said, you know what? Let's open it up today. Let's make it a little bit more flexible, not as rigid with the show. We're going to talk Major League Baseball opening day. We're going to talk the latest NBA standings. Sacramento Kings are in the playoffs for the first time in a long time. We'll look at the latest standings. And once again, as we've told you before, it's a constantly fluid situation. It changes from day to day. So we're going to talk Major League Baseball opening day. We're going to talk the latest with the Major League, uh, the NBA standings. D'Lo and I did our latest mock drafts 2.0 for the New Orleans Saints. We'll talk about that, share that with you as well. And of course, Raging Cajuns baseball and softball. We'll hear from Coach Jerry Glasgow and Coach Matt Deggs later on today as well. Plus, the phone lines are open. It is a phone call kind of day. Game hotline, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You want to talk MLB opening day? You want to talk NBA playoff push? You want to talk Raging Cajuns, LSU baseball? Tigers open up a huge series against the Tennessee Volunteers tonight at Alex Box Stadium. We'll talk about that. Heck, you want to talk Saints? You want to talk draft? You want to talk men's Final Four, women's Final Four? Give us a call. Game hotline is open. 337-706-0111. But before we get started on today's show, happy opening day, D'Lo. How do you feel about it? Are you excited? Well, it certainly snuck up. Uh, We've kind of hit on that, which I guess at this point it hasn't because we've talked enough about it sneaking up. Yeah, for the last week or so we've been talking about how it's sneaking up on us. Yes, so it's no longer Um, sneaking up. I don't know why this is, and you know, I guess the reason is probably because when I was a kid, like, I just was able to watch so much more TV about, like, MLB Network specifically. I just love, that was, like, my favorite channel growing up. I had it on all the time. Um, But, like, I feel like there used to be this hype around, like, okay, spring training's finally over. Here we go. We're getting geared up. Here's the, let's have all these conversations about it. And this, now, it's like, and again, it's got to be that. It's got to just be that I don't watch as much like t- TV about it. But it's like, here we go, game start today. I mean, I didn't, and I mean, I watched the World way less Baseball Classic stole kind of some of the thunder. 
Yeah, but even in previous years now. Now th- this year's weird too because we have this whole everybody plays, uh, and, and in very you know for, uh, for a long time now it's been. Which I mean, well, okay, it's fine, but I don't mind the whole one game kind of get you going, and then everyone else plays the next no. day. But the problem is they haven't been even been doing that. It's been like two games are on Thursday, and one game's on Friday, and three games are on Saturday, and then the rest of the league starts into the next Monday. Make it you make it a holiday, and when, well, that's, and, by, yeah. and by doing it like this, you create excitement about it because every team's every person's favorite team is playing on the same day. It's like the first day of the NCAA tournament. You're making it be appointment listening, appointment viewing, right? So that's what it's about. And, you know, they were doing the thing with opening night, and then you'd have opening day, and we had some years where we had one game the night before, and then everyone else played the next day, or some teams didn't play the next day, they played two days after. And I like this. I like this because everyone begins the season – there's excitement across the board, coast to coast. Yeah, this is a good board. thing for baseball. Except in Oakland. Oh, shout out to Oaktown. It's a struggle bus for Oakland. Yeah. It's, just, it's, just, it's a struggle bus for them in so many different ways. We don't have time to dive into that. But, and this is something we haven't discussed a lot on this show. But the pitch clock. And we, we've briefly mentioned it, right? I've watched just a few spring training games. I haven't watched a ton of them. I'm not a Major League Baseball beat reporter. I'm not Chandler Rome of the Houston Chronicle. But what I've noticed after so many people were up in arms about it, after so many people complained about it, it seems to be pretty efficient. And I'm not to say that there's not going to be issues with the pitch clock this year. I actually like it. I like the fact that we don't have guys in the batter's box get out of the batter's box three times to readjust their gloves 17 different ways. Like, I like the fact that it is get up there and get your job done. It's old school. And more so than that, it's good for the game. Look, I am 44 years old. I'll be 45 this year. I'm a lifelong baseball guy. I know a lot of the younger generation, your generation, Dawson, they're really not. And I get that for a lot of people, it's too slow. It drags on too long. When you hear people talk about baseball in a lot of ways, they go, oh, man, another four-hour game, right? There's a level of exhaustion when you talk to people. The modern sports fan likes things done quickly. NFL games don't dilly-dally. NBA games don't dilly-dally. It's you have action, right? And the problem with baseball, unlike, say, the NFL and the NBA, even if NFL and NBA games go a little long, there's constant action in those games. There's not lulls like there is in baseball because that's just the way the game is designed. Making it go a little bit quicker. And what some reports say, based on the spring training games, they've shaved off anywhere between 15 to 20 minutes a game. Even even a little more than that, yeah. Even a little bit more than that? That's not a bad thing. 
that's a good thing because that can only help the game, the game that I love, the game that so many of us love, and I know you're a big baseball guy, so you're you're kind of the rare exception in a lot of ways of the younger generation because baseball's done a terrible job promoting itself to the younger generation. That's a discussion for another day. Is this can't hurt. This can only help grow the game. If games are shorter and they're a little bit more exciting and they have a little bit more of a rhythm and anxiety, if you will, to them, that makes them more exciting, that can't hurt. This can only help the game and only help bring more people to a game that was, you can still argue, the national pastime, but it's very much became uh, has become a regional sport. Teams still sell out, with the exception of the Oakland Athletics. Teams sell out. The fan bases around those markets love their teams. They go and watch their team play. But baseball doesn't dominate the national conversation like the NFL does or even the NBA does. It's more regionalized. This can only help the game. This is a good thing. Well, the funny thing is that, uh, like, one of the bigger complaints that I saw about it was that uh, this isn't natural. Like, you're you're messing with the flow of things and things like that. But baseball was the the sport I played the most. My favorite sport to play of the I played baseball and football for the most part um, at the higher levels of my playing career in high school. But the funny thing is, like, you never the whole like stepping out of the box and all these resets and things like that doesn't happen except at the professional and maybe collegiate level. Like, in in you know, in Little League Baseball and then into high school baseball, like, umpires say, let's go. And if you're, you know, sitting, stepping out of the box, taking your helmet off and, you know, just wiping the sweat and readjusting the batting gloves and going back for more pine tar and stuff, like, that doesn't really fly at that at those levels. And no. I think people are acting like it was part of the game, but it was really just something that was kind of done over time by some of the professional players. And I think a lot of it just had to do with the fact that they were pros and they knew they could get away with it. And so... I don't think you've taken anything away, and yes, the the new rules have, to this point, at least in the quote-unquote testing session in spring training, have done what they were designed to do. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a few growing pains with, oh, yeah. with, oh, with a couple of balls and strikes being okay. called that people are like, are we serious? We just called this guy out for that. But also, and, and my hope is, and I have faith that once you get to postseason baseball, you kind of relax these rules a little bit. You still have the clock and whatever else, but maybe you have couple extra warnings given out because playoff baseball is different and we, we can acknowledge that it's a different game so yes. I, I would like to see that change for that part but for the regular season again there's 162 games they don't the games don't matter anymore since everyone makes the playoffs so let's at least get them over quicker right that and, was a little, no, that's, that's, a little shade that. thrown in there at the end but anyway yes yeah yeah very subtle uh, <laughs> no look <clears throat> you're not wrong about this and look there will be growing pains and there will be issues and there will be some controversy involved with the pitch clock you can bank on it that's money in the bank go ahead it's going to be a done deal that said this is good for the game this is good for the game you're going to get quicker games and it's going to make things a little bit more exciting for the game where you won't have those lulls because you know nothing and, and you're right. I don't remember that as a kid. Like, as a kid going to ball games or playing ball, there was no multiple steps out of the box to 
to take a couple more extra practice swings or the pitcher coming off the bump because he needed like we've baseball the professional level has slowed the game down to an unnecessary click it's the same thing it's really interesting too you know the funny thing i don't use too many governmental comparisons here but the constitution was written in the 1700s and like today we try to grab things from the Constitution, and, you know, it still has some validity, certainly, but it's difficult to compare, right? Because the people who wrote the Constitution had no idea what was going to be going on in 2023. Well, the same goes for the way baseball was designed, and that's something we see with the shift rules. Like, when they designed the game, they didn't think people were going to put seven guys on the right side of the infield in a shift in the 10th inning. Like, they didn't they didn't envision that. And, again, the pitch, pitch pitching changes is another thing that's kind of ramped up. As, as these analytics mm-hmm. have told us that, you know, it's probably your best option to go get this left-hander for this batter and then pull him and go to the right-hander and then pull him and go to the sidearm guy and then pull him and go back to another left-hander. That stuff has all lengthened the game and, you know, created some issues that were unforeseen for a long and didn't matter for a long time. So for some people to be like, it's not broken, they've been playing it for 150 years, what's wrong? Well, the game has changed in certain ways, and I think it's good to take a look sometimes and go, how can we get this, A, back to what it was designed to be in some situations or try to make it better than it ever was? And I think they're they're making an effort. Um, I know you're not a fan of Rob Manfred. I'm not either. And I think he's certainly taken some missteps along the way, and I still don't understand the way they market the game in certain situations and the way the TV deals are just really oh. kind of stringent and things like that. But they're trying some things. And, again, here's the thing. If this is an absolute disaster, they can take it back. They didn't call no take backs on this rule change. So Correct. If, if, if it's a which I don't think it's going to be. I think it's going to be fine. But if it is horrible, they can change course. Now, and quickly because we're about to to hit a timeout is, you know, look, back in the 70s, the average time of a major league baseball game was approximately 2 hours and 30 minutes. Now, the increase is related to kind of several factors over the years. Increased time between innings for TV and radio commercials. That is a big part of it, right? The overall length of a Major League Baseball game grew because of that. But just go back to the early 2000s. The average length of a Major League Baseball game in 2000 was 2 hours and 58 minutes. And they got it down to 2 hours and 46 minutes in 2003. Because even back in the 2000s, they're like, uh... We're, we're a little too long here. we got to scale this back. But the game has evolved. The abundance of how many pitchers you use has also led to length in Major League Baseball games because now starters don't even have to go really five innings because we, we put such an emphasis teams do on middle relief. Well, when you change pitchers, you stop the game, right? That's part of it as well. But in 2021... It was three hours and 11 minutes, the average time. So doing something to improve the game is a good thing. And I will actually give Rob Manford credit here, just a little bit, that this is actually a good thing. Got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Major League Baseball opening day is today. And while that's going on, obviously we have the Final Four this coming weekend for both the women and the men. And we also have the playoff push in the association. That's right. NBA playoff push coming down the home stretch. Only a handful or so games left in the NBA. And we had some interesting games and some interesting results last night. Sacramento Kings, they're back in the playoffs. Sacktown, that's right, for us, old enough to remember when Sacramento was good for a brief stretch there in the 90s and early 2000s. The fact that the Kings are back in the playoffs is a huge deal. They seal the playoff berth with a 120-80 to win over the Portland. We're tanking Trailblazers. Dame Lillard deserves better, by the way. But that's a discussion for another day. Kings... They clinch a playoff berth now, so that's three spots in the West that are now gone. Phoenix guts out a win against the Timberwolves. Boy, it sure does feel like Minnesota is going to be kind of a tough out for whoever plays them. They, they just play everyone tough. They don't always execute the best, but they play tough. They win 107 to 100. Devin Booker goes off for 29 points in the win. Edwards had 31 for Minnesota. He's really good. But Durant was a little bit on the struggle bus. He had 16 points, 8 rebounds, 5 of 18 shooting. They got double-digit scoring from all five starters. Phoenix, of all the teams in the West, they are the most intriguing to me. Duran is special. Duran is a generational talent. But we can argue Kevin Duran has not been himself. And is he going to be healthy enough for them to be a legitimate contender this year? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I like Aiden. Paul's on the tail end of his career. I love what you see from Devin Booker. That's a guy that's immensely confident. He believes that he can shoot the ball from every from every spot on the floor. Every spot on the floor, Devin Booker says, yeah, I can make it from there. Devin's got that dog in him. I like what they've done. But can KD be healthy enough to help them make an impact? I don't know. I think they'll be fine. But you know what really is interesting to me? And I think both teams probably would prefer it otherwise. If Golden State wins enough to catch the Clippers and become the five seed, then Phoenix would play Golden State in the first round. And I don't think either one of those teams wants that matchup. Neither I one think, of those teams wants to I be think that 4-5 matchup. I think it's clear Phoenix would rather play the Clippers than Golden State. And I think Golden State would probably rather play Sacramento than I – think, I think almost definitely would rather play Sacramento than Phoenix. So, you know – 
if you see the Golden State resting some stars, now the interesting thing is they have to be, they can't just be obvious about it because there's teams behind them that could still catch them. They're only a game up they're, on the team that's in the They're a game up and then they're a game out. So they, they can't really like pick and choose here. But I would imagine if they have a chance in the last couple of games of the season, if they need to lose a couple of games to stay out of that matchup, then they might rest some starters. And if they need to win a couple of games to stay out of that matchup, they will probably play their best and win games. So. Because no one's catching Sacramento. Right. Not with the, one, the two, and three are, are pretty. You're feeling pretty good. Maybe, maybe the order there, but well, Denver has a three and a half game lead on Memphis, and Memphis has a two game yeah. full two game lead on Sacramento. So you feel confident that the top three are going to be what they are. But then you're right. Phoenix, Clippers, Golden State are going to be battling it out, and Phoenix and Golden State do not want to face each other. I mean, if things would have been healthy and they would have had the years that they expected to have, that would very well would have been more of a Western Conference Finals type of series, and you're going to get it in the first round. So, oh, one immensely talented team with generational talents and MVPs on the roster will not be making it to the second round, which I think is good for the game, but neither team would want to want that to happen. Timberwolves are at seven. Half game behind them are the Lakers and the Pelicans at 8-9, and nine, and then the Thunder are right there. Mavericks got, uh, after getting a win the other night, they lose another one. <sighs> Did Dallas make a mistake? I mean, I, I kind of we kind of said that at the time, right? I mean, it didn't it didn't fit. That was my first comment. It didn't feel like it fit. And Kyrie and Luka. It felt like it was a deal to make a deal. Like you needed to make a deal, so they made a deal. And it didn't feel like it was a thought-out plan to build this roster a certain way. Correct. Now, before we get to the break, I did want to say, have you seen this Lakers free-throw differential thing that's going on? No. It is unbelievable. So the Lakers have shot the most free-throws in the NBA this year, and it's not even close. And their differential between the number of free-throws they've shot to their opponents for the season... Like, okay, you could say, well, they're, you know, they have physical players that draw fouls, whatever. It is like the difference from first to second in this differential is unbelievable. And I think last night they shot 30 free throws to Chicago's like 13. <laughs> no, and in this last, ever since the, uh, the NBA officials, remember, came out with that statement where they were heartbroken that they blew the call for the Lakers, that yes. they weren't going to sleep at night, the differential since then has been even more astronomical. It is absolutely unreal. And it really feels like the NBA is doing their best to get the Lakers into the play-in game and maybe into the playoffs. So just wanted to point that out. It's it's stra- If you look at the numbers at it from a glance, it's strange how big the difference is from one to two. I don't disagree with you. They're also the most important franchise in the NBA. That should not matter. But it does. But it shouldn't. It, well, we, we don't live in a world of ideals, Dawson. We live in a world of reality. And the reality is the NBA is always, always, always going to try what they can in their power to make sure that the Lakers are given special treatment because that is the brand. Them and the Celtics, man. I hate to say it that way, but that's how it works. It shouldn't be that way. You're right. It shouldn't be that way. But you telling me that the Lakers are getting uh, exponentially larger amount of foul calls than other teams and that it's like a cliff from them to everyone else, I am not surprised by this information one bit. 
because I've been watching the NBA for 40 years. <laughs> so, so no, so no, this does not surprise me. Of, co- of course, of course, they want the Lakers in the playoffs. Of course, they want LeBron James in the postseason. Come on, man. Yeah, what, what do you think they want? What do you think Adam Silver and the gang and the NBA, when they look at the Western Conference standings, who, who do you think they get excited about? You think they, they get excited about OKC or the Pelicans, or you think they get excited about the, the, the possibility of being able to promote LeBron James and the Lakers in the playoffs? I understand that, but that that is a this is a way bigger picture thing that we're now talking about the integrity of the game. If we're if they and now obviously they're not going to admit it, but yeah, they wanted you know they wanted Kansas and Duke in the Final Four, but they didn't call seventy two fouls against the opponents of those teams and they lost. So like yeah, no, I mean I get it. I'm just saying it's it's strange, especially after that miss call and whatever, and then now they've just kind of ramped it up and. I Leaves mean, the numbers right now, they are doubling up. Their glamour franchises. I know, and there's been studies legitimately on the star player effect, and I, I understand that, but it has been a little bit egregious in the past couple of weeks has been my, is my point there. I would argue that it's been egregious for 30-plus years. but Yeah, well, and, you know, <laughs> but, look, I had a friend in high school but, did a project about the NBA and, and foul calls and looking, you know, back to the Sacramento Lakers thing back oh. in the day. I mean, there was some... There's been some instances of of this, and just just you know, just just a few. So I'm not surprised or like shocked or saying this hasn't ever happened before. But in the past few weeks, I'm telling you, look, just go through and and look at the number of free throws the Lakers shoot against their opponents. And I mean, look, Anthony Davis. Yeah, I get he's great at drawing fouls, but he's not like the most physical player in the league type of guy. Uh, I I would imagine you know you'd think Giannis would be up there you know ahead of him, but anyway. Oh, yes. You're going to be nice and salty when you get older. You, you have you have traits. You have salty traits as such a young man. That's very promising for your future when you get older. You're going to be even more cranky about, <laughs> about certain things. Oh, I hired a good one. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, hey, we'll take your phone calls. Game hotline's open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. And we'll also unveil our Saints Mock Drafts 2.0. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. It's about Major League Baseball. It's about opening day. And it's about the new component that's hopefully going to make the game go by a little bit quicker. Poll question of the day. Will the pitch clock rules be good or bad for Major League Baseball? Your options. Good, bad, too early to tell, or I enjoy four-hour games. I want the people to vote for I enjoy four-hour games because I just think that would 
That would be delightful. Right now, 36% of you say too early to tell. 29% say good. 29% say bad. 6% of you say you enjoy the four-hour games. I love it. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day, and we'll share your thoughts throughout today's edition of RP3 and Company. Right now, though, it's time for us to head out to the game hotline. Welcome on Chris from Atlanta. Chris, good morning. What's on your mind, brother? RP3, how's it going, my friend? Uh, It's going well, bud. It's opening Uh, day. That's what I was about to say. It's opening day. Huge day for our Bravos. Wanted to get some thoughts on uh, Bray's shortstop situation back into the rotation and as well give a birthday shout out to our guy D-Lo. Oh, let's give it up. Let's give it up to the birthday boy. Appreciate that, Chris. We do appreciate that for sure. <laughs> um, I just, look, I know that the last two off seasons have been tough for Braves fans, losing Freddie and losing Dansby Swanson, but the organization is well ran. They lock up players They do so on what I would consider team-friendly deals for modern Major League Baseball. And I don't expect us to miss a beat. And I'm not saying this just as a fan of the Braves. I expect them to win the NL East. I know everyone's talking about the Mets. I I, I get it. They spent a lot of money. They did this. They did this. But they also had guys get injured. And they're the Mets. And until they prove otherwise that they're not going to, you know, just crumble under the weight of being the New York Mets, I'm not concerned. Plus, I feel like we can win our sixth straight NL East title. I mean, we won 101 games last year. And I know we lost to the Phillies in the playoffs, and don't get me wrong, that upset me because I hate everyone in our division. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Okay. But remember last year, we only had Acuna for a limited amount of time. We get him now back healthy. That's a huge deal. And Ozzy was mostly absent as well. So we have two key components of this team, two foundation players, great players as well. that are going to be fully healthy. I, I, I don't see where they're going to take a step back. We got two guys in the rotation that are both going to be Cy Young Award candidates in Strider and, and, and Freed. Both of those guys could be candidates. Both of those guys could be 20-game winners. I Look, I, I know it was disappointing, or as our, our Kevin Foote says, who hosts the show after RP3 and company, that it was a hammock season last year. In a lot of ways, it was. I think you're going to see Olsen, now that he's been with the team for a year, I expect him to have a breakout season as well. And that's going to make the Freddie Freeman departure a little bit easier to take. But look, we still got Michael Harris the second. He likes going by the second, not junior. Just want to make sure we're clear. Sure does. Sure does. He, he's, a big, he's a big second guy. <laughs> Chris, Chris, I want to get what? your take on uh, whether you're actually concerned more about the Phillies or the Mets because I've seen this go back and forth amongst Braves fans. Okay, so I don't think the Phillies can fake not having Reese Hoskins for a whole season, plus Bryce Harper – maybe until the All-Star break in June at the absolute earliest. At the earliest? So I, at the earliest. So I, I think that locks the Phillies into a wild card at best situation. The Mets last year, Dawson, you know this, 
I don't think they're that good. I think their pitching staff is elite. Don't get me wrong. But that lineup is a very middle-of-the-road lineup, especially in the NL East where the Phillies, healthy, top to bottom, fantastic. Braves, best lineup in the NL East, top five in baseball for sure. So I think the Mets lineup may catch up to them a little bit more this year, but that pitching staff, you, you can't fake it. And here's the thing. We also have Charlie Morton, and Jared Schuster is just going to be Lanyap. You know, I expect him to fill a big role in the the rotation and maybe hold down that fifth spot, and he's definitely going to be a Rookie of the Year candidate. Once again, the Braves have yet another Rookie of the Year candidate because that's plus. If it goes, if if Jared Schuster goes really wrong, if Dylan Dodd goes really wrong. Bryce Elder and Ian Anderson are just waiting in AAA. This is correct. See, this is what happens when you have well-run franchises. <laughs> this is this is yes. th- this is what happens. And look, the top of the lineup. Yes. We, look, we got three guys at the top of the lineup with Acuna, Olson, and Riley that can each hit forty home runs that, that are capable when healthy. Then we have guys at the bottom of the lineup with Harris and Rosario that can hit thirty. Can hit thirty-five home runs in a, in a full season as well. I think. I love our chances. And look, I love our chances. I, I usually don't get this excited about my team. I like, I love our chances to not only win the NL East, but to win the National League. My goodness. Let's pump the brakes. It's opening day. Here we go. And I don't, I don't want to hear about the Dodgers either. Oh, well, we can, but I'm not a Dodgers fan. I know Chris is not a Dodgers fan. No, yeah. We, I'm I old enough. I am not a Dodgers <laughs> fan. I'm definitely the furthest thing from a New York Mets fan. But Boston, I will say, I was watching. A lot of the MLB preview shows last night that you were talking about, okay. they still do exist. Um, everybody is not picking your Houston Astros to win the AL pennant. It's fine. Just saying, not an Astros guy at all. But how can you pick against a team that, not calling them a dynasty, but I'm not calling them close. a dynasty. It's just people get bored and they just want to make cute picks. It is what it is. I do it on this show sometimes. Like Seattle Mariners. Like the Seattle Mariners, love love Julio Rodriguez. Think the Seattle Mariners are great for baseball. Can't pick up the one in AL pennant. Sorry. No, I do think they present the biggest threat to the Astros in the division, though. Correct. Uh, 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 Very uh, much so. Yeah. Very much so. Of all the teams, and for and for Houston, not having Altuve for two months, having Lance McCullers start start the year off. Not playing, not pitching, having Michael Brantley not starting the year off, not not being able to play, having Alvarez more than likely be limited because he didn't get offseason surgery. There's going to be some question marks for the Astros, and they typically start slow. I'll be interesting to see how they do without Altuve. They've done this before without Breggs. They've done it without Carlos Correa before. Can they stay afloat and still be really good without the heartbeat of their team? That's my big question mark for the Astros, for myself. Them and the New York Yankees still do exist. Not a Yankees guy, but Aaron Judge <laughs> did just hit 62 home runs. And they're still managed by Aaron Boone. So that 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 pretty much cancels that, that is, out. That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate the phone call, brother. Thank you for listening. Enjoy your day. Yes, sir. You as well. Thank you. Did I get a little gruff from you about feeling good about my team this year? Is that is no, that no? It was fine. It was just I felt like it was like you know we got another Braves fan on, and y'all are just like 
Y'all are already selling T-shirts for the title, and I'm like, well, let's just let's just calm down a little bit. Look, look, look. We got to be we got to be healthy, and we weren't. And look, last year in the divisional series against the Phillies, both uh, Freedy and Schreider uh, were limited because of sickness and an, an oblique issue. If we can stay healthy, I love my Braves' chances. We got more young guys coming up that look like rookie of the year candidates. I love our rotation. I really do. I'm not intimidated by the Mets. I'm just not. And the Phillies have all these injuries. That's a lot. That's a lot. And I know everyone still loves the Dodgers. Eh. 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 Feels like they're their calmest and and weakest offseason in a while, and I almost wonder if maybe that ends up helping them out. But they do have some losses too. Justin Turner now in in Boston. There's a couple of things there that you go, they're banking on some of their younger guys and just some of their other guys outperforming expectations maybe a little by not making some of the big moves they've traditionally made, and um, and that'll be interesting. Yes. And, you know, look, we do have a question mark at shortstop. Orlando, former Brewers guy, right? Played for them for, what, four or five seasons. You know, he's going to begin the season in that same role. Can he keep the job? That's a big question mark from them. So, you know, there's still questions. Look, every team has questions. But I'm I'm high on my Braves. I am. And last year was a hammock season, which ended up being 101 wins. So I'll take those type of hammock seasons. Got to take a timeout. Come back. We'll update the poll question. Wrap up hour number one. That's all next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller. Constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Go! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. Will the pitch clock rules be good or bad for Major League Baseball? Right now, 36% of you say good. 27% say bad. 27% of you say too early to tell. 10% say, I enjoy four-hour baseball games. Let's get to some early comments. Martin on the Twitter says, just another thing for Yankee fans to blame their losses on, LOL. Ralph says, I voted too early to tell. But when you're lounging in your hammock on a lazy summer day while the Astros are playing, do you really want the relaxation to end 30 minutes earlier? Hashtag, how many games will the hammock season last? My man's already prepared for the hammock season. Ton says, too early to tell, but you know there will be games lost because of it. John Paul, the Cajun Daddy, says, I don't know, I don't know, need more information at this point. That's fair. JPK, the OD, says, I voted for good, but I'm not sure. A handful of preening prima donna batters out there drag the game out more than most pitchers do. 
Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Will the pitch clock rules be good or bad for Major League Baseball? Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Hour number one, good one in the books. Hour number two is going to be even better. We'll keep taking your phone calls. Game hotline's open, 337-706-0111. What we got on store for you in hour number two? How about our mock drafts for the Saints? How about Andre Jones holding his pro day? How about we look ahead to the Major League Baseball season? Who's going to win the divisions? That's all next right here on the game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. It's opening day. Happy opening day to you and yours. Dawson Iserlo, better known as D'Lo, better known as Two Degrees, better known as the producer extraordinaire, also known as the birthday boy. Let's give it up. Yeah, you know, it was funny because Kevin Foote yesterday found out and was like offended that I hadn't informed him that it was my birthday tomorrow <laughs> he was so, at yesterday. He, what, was, well, how did he say? How did he phrase it? He said, cat. He said hey, cat, cat. You just going to have a birthday and not tell anybody? <laughs> cat, why didn't you tell me about your birthday, cat? <laughs> so, well, did you want me to wear a T-shirt that said my birthday's this week? I, I don't know. I, while I just, you were trying to eat your food, he just came up to you during <laughs> our little luncheon yesterday. Cat, why didn't you tell me about your birthday? Sorry? I apologize. I'll make sure to put it on my calendar next year to tell you when my birthday is. Cat, <laughs> uh, got too much going on, Cat. What you got planned for today? What's the birthday plans for the D-Lo? What, what is, first of all, what birthday is this for you? 24. Oh, my goodness. I'm 20 years older than you. So how I celebrate my birthday is probably going to be slightly different than how you celebrate your birthday. What's on tap for you today for your birthday? Well, as I mentioned, it's it's a bit of a weird kind of situation with gift cards and expiration dates. So I'm actually going to Baton Rouge to have an early dinner and then going to go to Top Golf, swing swing the clubs a little bit. Oh, nice. So so let, let me see if I got this. We don't have to say what restaurant you're going to. Yeah, we don't want too many fans showing up or autographs or anything. No, no, we don't. We don't want to cause a scene at the restaurant. (laughs) Wait, we don't don't want that. Now, so dinner. Now, can we dive a little bit deeper on this gift card situation? So someone gave you a gift card for Christmas. Correct. For this restaurant. Yes. And typically gift cards last like a year or two years. Or forever. Or, or sometimes forever. There's not an expiration date on those bad boys, whether you get a gift card or a gift certificate. And, they, and they're very convenient. Some people say, hey, when you get a gift card, it doesn't really mean all that much. I'm not one of those people. Um, I like gift cards. I do so like gift cards. if you want to give me a gift card, feel free to do so. Right. Okay. So, but 
In your scenario, you were given a gift card to this establishment, a, a well-regarded restaurant in Baton Rouge. There's also one in Alexandria. And I think there used to be one here at one time, maybe. And the reason why you're driving over to Baton Rouge, why you're going to be making the trip over the basin while road construction's going on and having to deal with all of that is because the gift card expires today. Well, tomorrow, <laughs> uh, technically. Um, but yeah, uh, so essentially, look, I, I don't... It's a gift card for only three months? Yeah, well, and it gets better. Um, I was given the gift card for Christmas, and I was, you know, in town, around, you know, they have they have a couple locations over in New Orleans. So I was in town and, and thought, oh, this is great. And I went to go to the restaurant a few days after Christmas, used a gift card, and it didn't activate until January 1st. So, look, I'm hoping that whoever gave it to me got a good deal on it, and that's why it was some sort of thing. But it activated, so I had to wait. I couldn't use it. I moved back over here. Everything goes down. It expires on the 31st. And, I mean, again, it's a nice restaurant, so, like, I don't want to waste it. I would feel I would feel bad wasting the gift card. So, yes, that is the situation. I have never heard of it before, but that is the situation. I have never heard of, like, a limited-time gift card. So, so, so you received the gift card, but yet it wasn't being activated until January 1st. Like, yeah, like this, the top of the card says only valid these dates, and it has the dates. <laughs> So. so what happened, I'll break it down for you. What most more than likely happened is that it was like a buy one, get one free That's what type I'm of deal. Yeah, this was the throw in. Right. So you got the throw in gift card, which is still nice. Yeah. But limited time. So, uh, but that is a good restaurant. You'll have a nice time. I'm sure you've been multiple times. But then you're going to have some top golf action over there in BR. I've never been. So you I haven't have to, either. You have to let me know how, how it is. Because I've I've wanted to go, but we're, we're getting, getting one yeah. here. Won't won't be long before we don't have to make that trek. Correct. So we'll be having a top golf location right here in Acadiana, which is exciting as well. So dinner, top golf. The lady is going to be with you. Yes. For this, for your birthday. That's that's yes. also all, always enjoyable. How are you going to squeeze in Houston Astros opening day versus the Chicago White Sox? Which, by the way. In case you were wondering, in case there was any type of confusion, you can, if need be, listen to that game on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM, the talk of Acadiana. Pre-game begins at 5.30, first pitch 6.08. So that was the plan. Uh, I did mention it's like it's going to be an early kind of dinner thing because I am a morning producer, so I need to drive back to Lafayette to be ready for the show tomorrow. So we're going to go dinner early, then go, and I'm hoping the TVs at Top Golf will have the game so I can watch some of it. Uh, then I the plan is on the drive home, I'll listen on News Talk. So oh. That's the plan. And then maybe if everything goes well, catch the last couple of innings once I get home. And and then you can relax and hopefully watch your New Orleans Pelicans defeat the Denver Nuggets tonight. I don't plan to stay up for that one. <laughs> I, I surely don't. Um, if it's on and I'm up, I'll watch, but if I'm tired, I'm gonna go to sleep instead. My man, my man says uh, that ain't happening. I ain't. I am. I am Which, not doing any of that nonsense. To, to give an update on that situation, it was announced um, that Nikola Jokic is questionable for that game. So Denver, remember, went through that big lull, but now they've won four in a row, including beating some of the best teams in the league. They just beat Milwaukee. They just beat Philadelphia. So they're playing well again. They're trying to lock up that one seed. 
But Jokic has some lingering injury issues. If he doesn't go, maybe Jonas Valanciunas has a big game tonight. Um, but even if he doesn't go, I mean, look, Denver is one of the best teams in the league at home. What are they, 32-6 and six at home this season? Yeah, they're ridiculous at home. So, And the Pelicans are pretty awful on the road, conveniently. So that was the same situation when the Pels went to Golden State, a great team at home against a terrible road team. And, you know, that game was there for the taking. It wasn't taken. And it left the building. So... I don't expect much out of the Pelicans tonight. Again, the schedule after this is when you start to go, okay, back at home in the blender. Let's get some of these games down the stretch and clinch our play-in tournament spot and maybe move up the ranks. Again, my new goal is that eight spot because you get two chances. If anyone isn't familiar with the worst tournament in sports, the way the play-in tournament works is nine plays ten for the chance to play the loser of seven versus eight, right? So if you're the seven-eight game, you get If you win the 7-8 game, you're in, and you're the 7th seed. If you lose it, you get another chance against 9-10. So being 8 versus being 9 is a huge difference. You want to be in that 8 spot. Of course, if you get to 7, you get the home court, so that helps as well. That does help as well. So that, that, that is a solid birthday, my friend, and I hope you enjoy it and enjoy it to the best of your ability. Speaking of enjoying things, speaking of celebrations, Andre Jones the former Raging Cajun pass rusher, is hoping that he has something to celebrate when the NFL draft comes around. We already feel like Jefferson's definitely getting drafted for the Cajuns. I feel like Andre Jones is going to be the second guy drafted, and then they're going to have probably three or four guys that are going to make their way onto rosters by being invited either to camps or signed as undrafted rookie free agents. Garer could be another guy that gets drafted because what he does with special teams. I was surprised that he didn't get more invites to other places, though, to be able to show off his skill set. I was a little surprised by that. As was he. As was he. But Andre, man, he, he looks the part, right? And we've got to see him up close and personal here playing for the Raging Cajuns. He looks the part, six foot four, 248 pounds. What does he play at the next level? It's going to have to be as an outside linebacker, more than likely, in a 3-4. Is that how we kind of project him? I think he can rush the passer. I think he's – and early in his career, I think maybe he's a situational pass rusher. Um, You bring him in in a certain certain package, certain looks. Not not going to be an every-down guy to start, but I like the potential. And and let's remember, too, Andre Jones is fairly new to the position. I think that matters here. He was a wide receiver in high school. That's true. He's brought in Billy Napier and staff kind of molded him. They said, we see this athletic ability. We think this could play at the defensive end spot and did a fantastic job developing him. And coach, of course, Coach Dez continued that in, in Andre's final season. So I think the other thing is NFL teams are going to see that and recognize how young of a defensive end he is. Remember, he hasn't played the position and think they can really mold that and think maybe they can get a lot more out of him. So Look, I, New Orleans Saints looking to add some edge rushing ability late in the draft. If he's sitting there, I would love for them to bring him in as a project player. And, you know, I think he's got real potential. He's got, this, he's got all the measurables. And I think yesterday, you know, doing the, the workout he did for the scouts was uh, probably a good chance to show those measurables to them. Andre spoke to the media after putting on his pro day there on campus with the Raging Cajuns. And he, he talked about just the day in itself. Today, um, I think it was just a blessing to like wake up this morning, put two feet on the ground, you know, and be grateful for what you can do and what you can't do. And uh, it went, it went really great, you know. It went better than I expected. I, uh, I didn't have no doubt with myself or anything. My thing is, one, I was one guy protecting me through the whole thing, coming off 
hand restraint from the combine. So, you know, it was my first time really getting to do all that stuff. I really just been rehabbing. So, you know, it was just like, I gotta do something, show them something, like, you know, you know, um, so it went really great. Everybody was really impressed. And um, they had like, what, 12 people come? Yeah. Like 12 guys come, front office people, GM. The fact that a dozen teams came is a good sign. Like some look probably saw him, right? He he pulled the hammy while running the 40 at, at, at the NFL Combine in Indy. So he probably still got to be interviewed by some teams, and some teams probably have already done their homework. Uh, they wanted to see, okay, how is he doing with the, the hamstring injury? How much has he recovered? Look, he's a project guy. But... You see enough raw athletic potential where you go, okay, that's something that we can do. He's going to be a bit of a hybrid player at, at the beginning because of his size. He's only like 246, 250. Outside linebacker in a 3-4, maybe you can line him up in situationals with his hand on the ground. I think he can do both. But yesterday was about showing the scouts, hey, I'm still here. And the fact that you had a dozen scouts or front office personnel come to see his pro day is a good sign of his prospects of being drafted. And, you know, he also spoke about a little bit in more further detail about the previous injury that, you know, hey, helped him make his combine performance shorten and kind of, you know, put a damper on it. It was, um, it was on the first 40. Yes, got out real good. Got out, I got to like the 25 pool and it caught me. And like, but my momentum kept me going through and I finished like with a 4.8. My 10 yard split was a 1.54. And for my position, that's really great. So like in my position, like 10, 20 yards, like mean the most to me. Then, you know, so uh, they had like last couple of days, a couple, couple of teams asked me was I going to do four. I said, I told them no, because um, it's just like, you know, I, I think it'll catch me on the back end, you know. And I ain't really had that much time a couple weeks, you know. So it happened on the 2nd this month, but today the 29th. So I think it's just a blessing to do that, and they think I'm full speed. I think I got more. So, like, you know, so I look real good and look like something different. I love – look, Andre doesn't know. But the but coaches do this too at, for the for the raging Cajuns when uh when the when they're talking to us in the interview they pound the the podium they are always pounding the podium yeah I don't think the podium's reinforced with steel plates at the bottom or anything so it that thing will shake around if you, if you mess with it <laughs> no and look he's been working out he's been working on his game not only to get healthy but also to continue to developing his skill set to get prepared to hear his name called during the upcoming NFL draft. And part of that is training with other athletes, and Andre talked about that as well. It was great. Like, you know, seeing, like, people that have been in the league for a couple of years, like I've seen uh, J.J. Watt, Odell Beckham be there every other day, uh, Christian Kirk, um, a lot of people, uh, major league baseball players. And, you know, like, when we weren't training, we will be outside on the basketball court like with other other sports and them guys be out there, we'd be playing and everybody be shooting ball, playing horse and stuff like that and just bunning and everybody telling us about their stories when they was coming in opposition and stuff like that. So getting them little nuggets from everybody else, like, you know, because you don't never know what's going to happen. So you need that, that advice. You can always use that advice, you know. So getting to see guys that have done it, working out in the same type of facilities, 
using the same type of overall training staffs, it's it's always a huge advantage, right? And it, it helps give you a leg up. But what about this whole process? It can be somewhat nerve-wracking, right? Going through this, especially for Andre, getting, you know, having the hamstring injury while running the 40-yard dash at the combine. You know, does that make him have even be even more nervous about this pro- this process of getting drafted and trying to get to the NFL? And he said, mm, not really. No, I ain't nervous. I don't been through worse. I don't been through worse. I'm not. I'm not nervous. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Like, I mean, it, it might be like some like a friend who had to sit in or something happened or something like that. But I ain't nervous. I'm ready more than anything. I'm just trying to stay like keep my composure. I ain't going to be worried about, oh, somebody get drafted for me. I'm going to wait and I get my opportunity. Like, that's all. Let's give me get my opportunity. I'm gonna, like, I talked to Coach Nate two weeks ago. Man, thing, hey, you want a guy to do it right. He said, he said you, get the, you let to get your foot in the door. It's going to be hard to get you out of the door. Everybody know that. So I ain't really nervous about nothing. Ain't that, what's to be nervous about? should be excited. He's excited. He's also immensely confident, which I love. I love. I ain't nervous. I ain't worried about other people getting drafted. I think Cajuns get at least two guys drafted. Jefferson, the wide receiver. Jones, the pass rusher. And I think Gare is the wild card. He could be like a Raymond Calais and get drafted late because of his special teams ability. He's the guy that could be the third. And other guys will get invites to camps. We'll take a timeout. When we come back, we'll talk more NFL draft as D'Lo and I will unveil our Mock Drafts 2.0 for the New Orleans Saints. That's coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. On our YouTube channel, we like to have fun on the YouTube channel, don't we? Don't we, D'Lo? Isn't that our jam? Correct. We, we just have all types of shenanigans going on over there. on Building out the content every day. We're trying. We're trying to give the people what they want. We want to give the people what they need, what they want. And mock drafts is something that people want. <laughs> and look, I never did the mock drafts. That wasn't my thing. But now I'm kind of addicted. Like I can't wait to do the next mock draft. And I'm not even a Saints fan. But I'm enjoying this for the Saints. Once again, you can go check out our latest mock drafts for the Saints, our mock draft 2.0s. Myself, Dawson, Matt Miguez, and James Mesh. It's all can be found on our YouTube channel, At The Game Louisiana. That's At The Game Louisiana on YouTube. Simply subscribe. 
turn on the notifications. That way you'll get, well, you'll be alerted every time we post something new like our latest Saints Mock Drafts 2.0. So, they've made some moves. And now the Saints have put themselves in a position, Dawson, of not having to be desperate, right? They went out and got themselves running back. They went out and restructured the contract of Michael Thomas. They went out and got themselves another wide receiver, low-risk, high-reward kind of guy. They went out and got two D tackles, made some other moves, special teams players. So right now, they don't have to be desperate, which means they can take value. They can take best player available. So... You were the first one to knock out your mock draft 2.0 for the Saints. Give it to us, bud. Well, this one went a little differently. Um, a couple of guys slid in the rankings that I wouldn't have expected to, so I, it had a different flavor to it. In the first round, again, I've kind of talked about this a little bit. My new focus is on pass rush. I want somebody who can get after the quarterback in the first round this year. That would be my ideal situation for the Saints. I won't be crushed if they go O-line or something like that, but um, Nolan Smith fell. The Georgia pass rusher, linebacker. So that was not something I was expecting. I, you know, look, to be honest, I don't think he's going to fall that far in the draft this year to 29, but he was there. So I took him. And I thought that was a great start for the Saints to get somebody. You know, look, Andre Jones, maybe they get him in the later rounds, but you're talking about a premier first round talent in Nolan Smith. I don't think you can pass that up if he's there. Um, in the second round, I did the same thing I did the first time around. Jameer Gibbs was sitting there, and I think he's, you know, look, I understand why Bijan Robinson's ranked ahead of him, but I think Jameer Gibbs has a chance to be the best running back in this class. I really do. I think he has a chance to be um, one of the best running backs in the league in a couple of years. I, he really reminds me of Alvin Kamara a little bit, um, except that he was utilized more often in college. Remember, Kamara, we didn't know all that much because they simply didn't play him very much uh, in college at Tennessee. So, I think that's kind of um, a gift. If he's at 40, I would love to take him. The big surprise of my whole mock draft, I talked about a couple of guys fell. Maisie Smith fell to 71 in the third round. The the big defensive tackle from Michigan. So, look, if he's there, again, that's no longer as much of a pressing need. But if he's there in the third round, that would be a golden opportunity for the Saints to continue to shore up the interior of the defensive line. Then after that, you know, again, you're starting to chase value. And I've always said I like to take guys, as a lot of front offices like to take guys that they're familiar with. Maybe they have a regional scout in that area that they see a lot of. Well, I saw a lot of Jamie Robinson at Florida State, and I think he's a a versatile guy who you're not going to ask to play right away. You're going to give him some time. um, But he can be a fill-in player, maybe certain packages in, in the secondary. He's a great run defender, but he's also got some range, and he's improved that. So Jamie Robinson from Florida State. Then Okay, no. You want me to slow down here, okay? No. I don't want you to give them all. Okay. Because they can go That's find true. all that out on, well, and on the YouTube. There's a couple of really interesting ones at the end, too. So there we go. I, I took so. a guy that, again, I, I wasn't necessarily planning to take, but he was there and I couldn't pass it up. So you'll have to check out YouTube to see who that is. So I'm going to do my first three rounds for the Saints. Once again, we all take the approach of not accepting the trades that are presented to you during the mock draft simulator. Well, I think Miguez might, but we, yeah, we take that approach. Well, M- Matt listens to his own. There's a, there's music in his head that the rest of us don't hear. I did it as well. Now, I don't believe this player is going to be here at 29, and he's not necessarily a fit now either. But I think he's too good of a player to pass up. And that's Kalasia Kansi, the defensive tackle out of Pittsburgh. He's a little undersized, and I believe he can play on the end 
rather than on the inside. He's really good against the run. He gets after the quarterback. He's a special talent. You don't necessarily have to draft D tackle there at that spot. And I understand that. But in my mock draft, he was, he fell in my mock draft. Nolan Smith didn't. He was taken around 15 or 16, if I remember. So he was already off the board in that regard. Now, I do think you're going to have quality guys available for the Saints there. Keon White out of Georgia Tech, I think, is going to be there for them at 29. I think you could either see Brian Breesey or Miles Murphy, both out of Clemson, across the defensive line, be there and available. And then, obviously, if Nolan Smith falls, some people think he will. I don't think he does. I don't think he falls out of the top 20. He's just too talented. But I don't think there's going to be a shortage, if you will, of good defensive linemen there for the Saints to take. And I still think it's a priority because you don't know what you're going to get out of Peyton Turner. Cam Jordan's not getting any younger. So I still went like just like I did the first time at 29, taking Kalijah Kansi out of Pittsburgh. Now, I went at pick 40. I threw it out there. Come on home, Osiris Torrance. Come on home. He was there. I couldn't pass him up. If he's there at 40, I love that pick. I love that pick if he's there at 40. He's like six foot four, six foot five, 350 pounds. He is a mammoth mauler. He plays with a nasty streak. I'm not going to lie to you. I think the left guard position for the Saints needs that right now because Andres Pete's not that guy. He's good against the run. He's terrible against the pass. Osiris Torrance could be your future left guard. You're eventually going to have to move on from Andres Pete and Torrance is an absolute nasty athletic freak. And that's a guy the Saints could use across the offensive line. And I know it's not sexy with the mock draft to go D-line, O-line with my first two picks. But the Saints like to draft O-line, D-line. It's what they do. They value that. And you can't win in the NFL if you don't have very good line of scrimmage play. And then I went with the skill position guy with my third-round pick. I think it's a great value. I think he's better than being a third-round pick. I think you should leave it at that and let the people find out who that is. There it is. If you want to see all of our mock drafts, myself, RP3, Delos, Mesh, Miguez, all four of the latest Saints Mock Draft 2.0 is available on our YouTube channel, simply go and subscribe to At The Game Louisiana. That's At The Game Louisiana. All of our mock drafts are on there, as well as other stuff, including RP3, Road Tripping with RP3 is up there, video recaps, the whole nine yards. We have tons of great original content. Go check it out, At The Game Louisiana on YouTube. We got to take a timeout. When we come back, we're going to put the draft and mock draft talk aside. Major League Baseball opening day is today. Who do we like as the season begins to win the divisions in the American League and the National League? Who do we like to be wildcard teams? D'Lo and I will break that down for you. That's next right here on The Game.
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and Company as we're broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parch III. I'm joined inside the studios by Dawson Iserlo, a.k.a. D'Lo, a.k.a. Two Degrees, a.k.a. Producer Extraordinaire, and for today only, a.k.a. Birthday Boy. Let's give it up. Let's give it up. All day and half the night. All day and half the night. And his plans for today include going to a restaurant in Baton Rouge because he has to because the gift card that he was given for Christmas he could not use right after Christmas because it was not activated until January 1st and then expires tomorrow. So <laughs> he has to go over today. But a little top golf afterwards and then watch a little Astros baseball and then listen to it as well. And the man has wisely decided not to allow the Pelicans ruin his birthday. So, great job by you. Great job by you. I hope you have a tremendous day. Appreciate that. Poll question of the day. Will the pitch clock rule be good or bad for Major League Baseball? Once again, they are trying to shorten the game. And I think this is a good thing. We talked about it earlier on today's show that shortening Major League Baseball games is a good thing. It speeds up the game. It builds up more excitement. You know, we don't need games going three and a half hours in baseball. We just don't. Back in the 70s, it used to be like, you know, 240. Let's try to be more like that. But selfishly, I also want the pitch clock to succeed, and I'm hopeful that it will, and I think it's going to be good for baseball because it may be good for RP3. You know why? Because maybe... With the pitch clock now in place. And the games will get shorter and be a little bit more exciting. I can somehow find a way to convince my wife, who does not like baseball, Dawson. She does not care for it. To be on board with attending more games, either Major League Baseball or Minor League Baseball. The kiddo was a champ. We went last summer. To Nashville and got to see a minor league baseball game there. Great park that they have. My wife was a champ. She took one for the team because my brother and I wanted to go to a baseball game. My daughter, Hattie, could be like, eh. She was like, eh. She got bored. She was a champ for like four innings. My wife was just like, is this over yet? If we can get the games to be shorter, I can then take my wife and my daughter to the ballpark my wife doesn't have to sit there for, for as long, huh? When? That's going to make her a little bit more receptive, you know, be a, a little bit uh, uh, more in line to doing this. And I can just make sure to buy both my wife and my daughter cotton candy. It should be good to go. It's easy. It should be. There we go. I can also buy my daughter a hot dog. She loves hot dogs. There you go. Can't so, have a ballpark without one. Get the kid a hot dog, cotton candy. Have her maybe meet one of the mascots that walks around in the crowd. That'll take care of her and just make the game shorter for my wife. 
and then RP3 can enjoy a trip to the ballpark. This seems like a solid idea. The wife just texted me. Uh, just said no. Sometimes it's as simple as that. <laughs> she just said no. She just said no. I mean, none of that. Two letters, such a strong wow. behind Wow. It. Have a great day, dear. Thanks for listening. Let's look ahead to the season. Let's start with the American League. We'll do American League here, and then we'll do National League after the timeout. We're looking ahead. We're making our predictions for the season. We know it's silly. We know we'll be completely wrong and off base on this. But here we go. Dawson, I want you to go first. Give your division winners, starting with the AL East, moving westward. I'll okay. give mine, and then you'll give your wild card teams, and I'll give mine. All right. Uh, I won't waste too much time on these. I think in the East, that's the toughest one for me. Um, mm-hmm. I really think the Yankees and the Blue Jays are going to have a battle down the stretch here. Um, the other thing is whenever Boston's supposed to be bad, they're pretty good, and whenever they are supposed to be really good, they tend to struggle, I, it feels like, in recent history. So, like, I'm not going to be completely floored if Boston is better than we think they are, but in the end, I'm going to take the Yankees just because they're the team that's been there before. Toronto feels like they're trying to get over the hump, and they've been getting closer. They've got a great lineup, so much young talent, Bo Bichette, Vlad Guerrero Jr., um, among others, but... I think the Yankees get them by a couple of games in the East. And the Central, that's another one that's intriguing. The Central has the potential to maybe be pretty bad this year, um, but maybe have a couple of teams exceed expectations. The Royals and Tigers are expected to still be at the bottom there. Um, I I was deciding between the Guardians and the Twins, and I'm going to take the Twins. I think they bring Carlos Correa back into the fold. Um, I think he has a monster year. The rotation's going to be kind of the question there. Does a guy like Pablo Lopez step up and have a big year for him? Mm-hmm. Kind of one of those back end of the rotation. Maybe they're going to ask him to be a little bit more than that type of guys. I think the Twins do just enough. I think I'm down on the White Sox like some others are. I just think that roster's a little bit, you know, they lose Jose Abreu to the Astros and you know, can Eloy come back and have a monster season? They're going to need a lot of things to go right, so I'm not too high on them. Um, I won't waste your time in the West. It's going to be the Astros again. There's no questions for me there. And uh, that's what I have for the division winners. We have the same exact division winners. That's unreal. The Blue Jays have all the talent. Certainly. To take down the Yankees and win the AL East. Can they get out of their own headspace and do it? And that's why I chose the Yankees. It really is. And that's why I chose the Yankees. Even though I think the Yankees have a bum of a manager, and that's what holds them back. I still think it's good enough to win the American League East. Toronto will push them the entire season. Make no bones about that. I think Baltimore's going to be a little bit better. I think Boston's going to be pretty good. But in the AL East, it's going to come down between the Blue Jays and the Yankees, and I give the edge to the Yankees ever so slightly. It's not that much. As for the American League Central, I went with the Twins. It's a down division. Detroit, Kansas City are trying to get better. The White Sox lose a couple of pieces. I think that hurts them. It's between Cleveland and Minnesota for me, but I like the Twins. I agree with you. I think Carlos Correa, the former Astro, is going to have a monster year. After the offseason that he had where he signed multiple deals that didn't work out and had to go back to Minnesota for his health purposes, in particular probably his back, I think he's going to be motivated. I think he's going to have a chip on his shoulder. 
once again, what holds the Twins back is I don't I don't believe they have enough quality top end pitching. But in that division, I think it's enough to win the division. Look, Francona still with the Guardians, great skipper. Don't be surprised if Cleveland wins, but I like the Twins to win that. And then of course, it's the Astros. Like Seattle's going to give them some, you know, give them some mess. They're going to make things difficult. Make no bones about it. It's not going to be easy for the Astros this year, especially starting the year off with having so many injuries. But Yankees win the the East, Twins win the Central, and the Astros win the West. All right, bud. That being said, those are your three division winners. We both have the same three division winners. Are we going to have the same wild card team? So you got coming out of yeah, the I, American League. I don't think we're going to have the same ones here. So we now, um, I have to update myself every year. We now have three wild card teams. That's still correct. That's correct. All right. I'm glad that's the case. <laughs> um, that's glad that's the case. The first one is Toronto. Simply again, I think Toronto's going to be right on the heels of the Yankees. So I, I do think they get the first wild card spot, and I think fairly comfortably. I think they could be right around 90 wins. I think maybe the Yankees are a couple over 90. Um, but I think Toronto's comfortably in as the first wild card team. From there is where it got interesting. I know the popular pick would be the Guardians because that's the team that I didn't take to win the division that a lot of the projections do have to win the division. I actually think the Guardians have a bit of a down year, um, and I don't think they make it. So the teams I have replacing them, now the other team I would have had in regardless is Seattle. Um, I do think the Mariners, look, not only do they have some of those young position players, uh, but George Kirby, like I like a lot of the guys in their rotation that are younger guys that are supposed to have break breakout seasons, and I think a couple of them do. So I think Seattle takes the second wild card spot. Um, but then that last spot, the Guardians are right there. You could certainly make an argument for some of those AL East teams that we talked about, maybe Boston just being a little better than expected. I'm actually going to take the little MVPs in, in Anaheim, oh. formerly in Anaheim, now in Los Angeles, oh. but still don't play in Los Angeles. I'm going to take the Angels and Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. I don't think it's a banner season for them, but I think they find a way to win 85, 86 games. And I think there's there's so many teams in that middle portion that we mentioned with the Guardians, with the Red Sox, um, you know, maybe the Rangers taking that next step. All those teams battle it out. So I think 85, 86 games is enough, and I'll take the Angels as the final wildcard team. The only other team I don't think I mentioned, and I didn't mention the division either, the Tampa Bay Rays are always better than we think they're going to be. They're Correct. always there, and they will be there again. But I think it comes down to the last couple of games of the year, and I think maybe Shohei Otani does. Maybe Mike Trout, even though he gets out every single at-bat according to foot, I think he hits a couple of big homers, and the Angels finally return to the postseason only to lose in the wildcard game. We or finally differ. Series. Blue Jays without a, uh, without a doubt. like They're going to battle the Yankees the entire season for the AL East title. They will be the number one wildcard team. The number two wildcard team will be the Seattle Mariners. They're going to build off the season that they had this last year. They're going to try to make a little bit of a run against the Astros. They will get in. My instinct is always to go Tampa here because no matter what their payroll situation is, no matter what lack of talent we perceive them to have, they find a way. But I'm going against that. The best division in the American League will be the American League West. Your other wildcard team will be the Texas Rangers. I like the moves they made. I know they overpaid for a ton of people. They they just burning through money this offseason. But I like the Rangers. I like the Rangers with the same argument that you made for the Angels. I don't think it's going to be a banner year, but I think it's going to I think they're going to do enough to get in as a wild card team. And 
We don't talk about them enough. We're so focused on Seattle. Texas could be a dangerous team for Houston. So I like Houston to still win the AL West, but I think you're going to see two teams come out of the AL West for the wild card, and that's going to be the Mariners and the Rangers, and they'll join the Blue Jays as the three American League teams to be wild card teams for this season. Of course, we'll be wrong about all of this. <laughs> We've got to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll do National League. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to The Game's YouTube channel at The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. Will the pitch clock rules be good or bad for Major League Baseball? Right now, 37% of you say good. 29% say bad. 29% say too early to tell. 5% of you say you enjoy four-hour games. (laughs) Uh, I love baseball. I don't know if I enjoy four-hour games. No, no, no. This is a good thing. This is a good thing across the board. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Plenty of votes so far, and it's pretty even here. So keep those votes coming, and we'll share the results and share your comments throughout the final hour of today's RP3 and Company. Man, we've had a good show so far. Covered a lot of ground. We will do our National League predictions coming up at 830 We'll pick the three division winners, and we'll pick the three wildcard teams as well. Just did American League. We'll do National League at 8.30. Also coming up next hour, Thomas Wartell, golf coach from Skillmasters, will join us giving you tips. And, of course, we'll kick off hour number three with Les East of ChristensCitySports.com. Talking Pels, talking Saints. Hour two in the books. Hour three coming up. You're listening to The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Welcome back to RP3 and Company as we broadcast live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. Will the pitch clock, is it going to be a good thing, a bad thing? For Major League Baseball, we want to hear from you. Go vote on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Coming up half an hour from right now, D'Lo and I will be giving our predictions for the um, National League division winners and the three wild card teams as well. We already gave you the American League. Just to recap there, we both picked all three division winners the same. Yankees to win the East, Twins to win the Central, Astros to win the West. Our wild card teams is where we differ. We both say the Blue Jays. We both say the Mariners. 
He says the Angels as his third. I say the Rangers as my third. Will we be different when it comes to the National League as well? Have to tune in for that coming up in half an hour. But right now, it's time for us to talk all things New Orleans Saints and New Orleans Pelicans with our good friend from ChristensCitySports.com. Les East joins us now. Les, good morning to you, bud. How are you, my friend? Doing well, Raymond. How are you? I am doing excellent. So, let's start off with the Pellies. They built up such great momentum beating teams they were supposed to beat, taking advantage of the schedule, getting win after win after win. And they get up by 17 points at halftime. In fact, they were up, I think, by 20 at one point in that game, only to lose by double digits to Golden State on the road. What happened? Well, what happened is you have an opponent that uh, features a lot of multi-NBA champion players and a head coach who were embarrassed by the first-half performance and watched Draymond Green lose his mind in front of a national TV audience trying to intimidate the Pelicans who were not in any way flustered by it and At halftime, they regrouped and decided that they were going to go out and show who they really are, which is one of the best home teams in the NBA and probably one of the best teams in the NBA overall. And they came out and they landed three haymakers in about the first minute of the third quarter, and the Pelicans never recovered, which was uh, a very bad response from the Pelicans, but it could also be an eye-opener. I'm sure they've done a lot of soul-searching the the last 24 hours or so, but uh, unfortunately their next opportunity comes against an even better team tonight in Denver. Why can't this team close out games against good teams? Like uh, They have talent. There's talent on this roster, but when they play the best of the best, nine times out of ten, they will falter in at the end. They'll look good for a couple quarters. But when it when push comes to shove, when it's crunch time against quality opposition, the Pelicans play some of their worst basketball less. That's what it seems like. Well, it's it's hard to say and maybe we'll find out more uh tonight or during the homestand when they play a, a series of good teams if that opportunity presents itself because you know, during that five-game winning streak, they never lost a lead late because they were winning by 15, 20 points in every game. Now, the opposition wasn't great, although they did beat the Clippers, and the Clippers went last night without Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, and they hung 141 at Memphis. So, you know, they're still a good team, and they blew them out on Saturday night. So, um Recently, you know, they've been a different team here the last week and a half or so, and uh, they haven't really had a game go to the wire, and that includes the Golden State game because that was over in the fourth quarter. Uh, They haven't really had a game go to the wire here in the last six games, and they won five of them because they were so far ahead. So let's see what happens if they find themselves in crunch time against a good team uh, in this final stretch run. What do you make of the job Willie Green is doing now that he's in his second year at the helm of the Pelicans? 
Well, I think he's overall done a good job. He's he's going through some learning experiences. This, this team uh, has had some lulls this year where it's taken him some time to find some answers. They had a 10-game losing streak. And even with the injuries, that, that doesn't excuse some of the poor play that they've had. So he's he's had to learn how to adjust to a team that's not playing well, and he hasn't solve problems as quickly as probably fans would like. But at the same time, they have solved a lot of problems. They've bounced back a couple of times from from bad stretches, including this most recent win streak. You know, he's made changes that have been effective, um, you know, recommitting to Jonas Valanciunas here the last week or two, I think has gotten their offense going early, and then it's created spacing that's helped Trey Murphy come alive, and Brandon Ingram has responded here the last six games. So, you know, I think he's, you know, he's adjusted Herbert Jones's role in the offense and allowed him to focus more on the defensive end, which is where he's most valuable to this team. So, you know, I think he has made adjustments uh, that, for the most part, have helped, but it hasn't always come as quickly. Uh, as you would prefer, but this is a team um, that's already won two more games than last year's team won, and if you go and look at the game's lost to injury, even though Zion Williamson missed all of last season, it's not a dramatic difference between last year and this year, and this team's going to finish with a, a, a significantly better record. We're talking with Les East of ChristmasCitySports.com. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. How do you feel right now with only a handful of games left and everything still just so bunched up in the Western Conference? Well, I think their chances of playing beyond April 9th are better than they were when we talked last week. Um, at that point, they were on the outside looking in, and I, I thought that was probably where they were going to wind up because they were playing terrible. And uh, since then, they, they've gotten better. Brandon Ingram, the light bulb went on somewhere during that winning streak. I think it was the game where he had the 17-point first quarter. I don't. It might have been the San Antonio game or the Charlotte game. And he has looked for the last few games like the guy who carried them down the stretch last year, and that has been huge. Trey Murphy has been very good. Valanciunas has been good. McCollum has been McCollum. So uh, they've played much better here of late, except for the meltdown in the second half on Tuesday night. They're they're in pretty good shape with some tiebreakers. Um, Dallas losing last night was helpful. Uh, If they beat Minnesota, they win that tiebreaker. Uh, They've already got the tiebreaker with the Clippers, and they get them head-to-head again on Saturday. So they're in good shape. Uh, with the schedule, but more importantly, they look like a team that's capable of winning some of the, these games. And I'm not sure I would have said that a week ago. So I would say right now, I think they're going to be in the top ten, and there's still a chance that they could be in the top six and avoid the play. In fact, let's put it this way: if you, a week ago I would have said that they were going to miss the play in because they would fall below it. Now, if they miss the play-in, it's probably going to be because they ascend above it, which is a bit of a surprise to me. Would you say that 
you know, them making the playing tournament is more about their ability and their skill set, or is it more about the fact that we have about five or six teams in the Western Conference that are just, you know, mediocre? Well, it's both, but I, you know, I would tend to look at that in a more positive fashion because they have played well here. They put together a five-game winning streak. If they get in, that means they're going to beat some good teams here down the stretch. And some of these teams that, that are mediocre have played some good basketball down the stretch. I don't think they're going to back into this because everybody else loses. Now, I know the Jazz has had some problems until they won last night, but Minnesota's been playing well. Oklahoma City's been playing well. The Lakers have mostly been playing well. So, you know, if, if the Pelicans do get in, they're going to have to earn it, and, and they've turned things around here of late. So, you know, I would tend to give them more credit than I would blame other teams uh, if they do get in. But that doesn't ignore the fact that there is a lot of mediocrity uh, surrounding them. But um, they've done a good job of putting themselves in a position to earn a spot. Let's, let's switch gears to the Saints. Things have gotten kind of quiet with the free agency, and that's to be expected because it's that time of year. But what do you make of the move they made of reuniting Derek Carr with one of his former wide receivers who showed some promise in 2021, but then was inexplicably traded for uh, a bag of potato chips and some you know leftover chicken salad sandwich to the Falcons? Well, you know, we'll see. I mean, it makes sense that's a position where uh, their depth um, is probably lacking a little bit. There's a lot of uncertainty because we just don't know about whether Michael Thomas is going to be able to give them a full uh, productive season, even though he seems to be on board mentally. We'll have to see what happens physically. So that's a need they had to address and, and bringing in somebody that, Carr is familiar with. I'm sure Carr must have given him a good recommendation for them to bring him in. Uh, they're not really risking anything, so it gives them an opportunity to potentially upgrade a position that still needs a little bit of upgrading, and they, they didn't really risk anything to do it. So it makes sense, but you know we'll see when we're sitting here in December or January. I don't know if we'll be looking at that as a significant move or not, but I understand why they did it. With all the moves they've made, how do they approach the draft now, Les? Well, I think I've said this before. They're going to, uh, like they always do, they're going to be able to stick to their board. Uh, you know, I think defensive line is an area they're going to be uh, focused on going into the draft. And there'll probably be a wide receiver show up somewhere along the way. There'll be one or more DBs show up somewhere along the way. But I think as the individual picks arrive, they will be able to look at their board and say, uh, and, and look at the best guy, regardless of position, and select him. And they'll also be able to look at the, the big picture as their picks approach and decide whether a trade is the right way to go based on what's likely to be there. Uh, several picks down the road. So uh, I think they'll go in feeling confident that they have the flexibility they want to have and that they can use each pick 
to pick the best player or to make the best transaction um, overall without having to uh, sacrifice that in the name of any individual position. But I do think defensive line is going to be a priority at some point. And that's what they typically do, brother. They draft in the first two rounds, D-line, O-line, DB, and wide receiver. That's what they do. Uh, it is a formula that they follow almost to the T. They draft best player available, but it's usually from one of those four position groups. They they just, historically speaking, they usually don't, you know, go off of that that format, if you will, that formula. And offensive line is an area that could come into play uh, also, you know, we've seen this many times in recent years that um, you, you, no matter how good you feel about your starting five, you're not going to have your starting five for 17 games because of the way those guys get beat up. So, uh, And you need depth. You're going to have to rotate guys in there. So, uh, you know, offensive line certainly is another area that I think will be on their radar uh, at some point. But, uh, it, it, you know, it all comes down to uh, – is your evaluation of the guy you pick accurate or not? And like most teams in the NFL, uh, they're pretty accurate, but they're far from being flawless. So, you know, we'll see. They'll probably come up with some good players, and they'll probably miss on a couple, and they'll wind up being a pretty good draft like most drafts are, but it won't be like 2017 or, uh, you know, 1986 or some of these other drafts that define the franchise for years to come. Les, appreciate your time. Brother, keep up the tremendous work that you're doing for Crescent City Sports. My friend, we'll talk to you next week, bud. Thanks, Raymond. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known for being a well-tempered and thoughtful sports journalist. The incompetence, the absolute abundance of arrogance from Rob Manford makes me want to punch him in his throat. Okay, well, we all have our bad days. I'm not kidding. If he was right here in the studio, I would walk up to him and throw him a punch. Well, let's all hope he took his meds today. Back to hopefully a calm and collected RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Southwest Louisiana's Louisiana's sports Sports station. station. Welcome back to RP3 and Company on this Thursday edition as we wrap up the month of March and get closer to the weekend and get closer to the final four for both the men and the women. Don't forget to go vote on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter and we'll update it before we wrap up today's show. But right now it's time for us to talk about how to improve your golf game. And we're going to do so with our friend Thomas Wartell. He's the golf coach for Skill Masters, a great new app. It's all about boosting players and coaches' development and exposure. They do soccer, they do golf, and so many other things. Thomas, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Spring has sprung. Masters is right around the corner, and uh, we're rocking and rolling. What I always find interesting, and this is something that I've done over the years myself, whether it was 20 years ago when my brother and I were living with each other as roommates and we'd go golfing on the weekends of a major, right? So we'd go out there and we'd make sure we'd get in 18 holes at least, sometimes more, because we'd love watching the event and then be inspired to go out there. Um, 
for those who are doing that, what's the good piece of advice that you give them? <laughs> well, yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I can remember as a kid, I would go watch the, uh, the pro tournament in New Orleans. I'd get all excited, and you just couldn't wait to get on the golf course. And then uh, reality sets in that, you know, this game can be tough. But, yeah, it's uh, uh, one of the things we're doing uh, next uh, Tuesday, the 4th of April at 530, we're doing a uh, Masters short game or a Masters uh, clinic. And we've got a lot of focus on short game here at the uh, Golf Academy. And that's in conjunction with Skillmasters here at Le Triomphe at the uh, Golf Academy. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be great. We're going to have a whole Masters-inspired clinic from 530 to 7, and Skillmasters will be around. And uh, we're going to look at golf clubs and talk about wedges and bounces and wedges and how that affects the uh, the shot and, you know, what's the best – What's the best sand wedge that Ray needs to be using versus the best sand wedge that Tiger Woods should be using? But, yeah, getting out on the golf course around majors, it's, uh, it's really the prime time of golf right now. I think uh, everyone gets Masters fever and uh, springtime coming in. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great thing. And my, my advice is to get out and play and, and get going. You know, the grass is still a little sparse. It's coming out. So uh, those shots around the green, are, uh, you need to get a little practice in about that for sure, Ray. How do you build on the momentum? Because so many of us love the game, and we go out there and we play it and we get frustrated, but we still love playing it. And we'll do so, as you said, Masters Fever, and it kind of carries over through the summer, through the other major championships. But if you're a weekend warrior, or if you're just a guy like me in his early 40s that just wants to improve his game, what are some things that you can do to kind of keep that momentum, right? After that initial wave of enthusiasm of hitting the course, it takes work. It takes discipline. Oh, Oh, for sure. And it, it takes a consistent so uh, I would say, like uh, like with Skillmasters on the app, we do a lot of uh, of uh, continuously doing uh, repetitions of the grip, for example. So, uh, like I had a student this morning that was in here, and he's a great golfer, but he hadn't played in six months because he had a project with a, a job, and uh, his grip had gotten just a little off. You know, he hadn't touched a club and basically hadn't touched a club in six months. And this is a guy who's been playing all his life. And, and, you know, the grip was just a couple of millimeters off, and then he starts making compensations in a great golf swing already. So those compensations were changing his angle of attack and his club face position at impact. So just uh, one of the things that differentiates uh, the better golfers is their, their consistency and repetition, and that falls all the way with putting. So, you know, keeping the momentum means having a routine where you say, okay, you know, depending on your goals, but let's say just once a week, I'm going to work on my putts, and I'm going to work on three-foot putts uh, doing a simple drill that the, the, the skill masters has showed us. And you, you, you do the putt, you do it once a week. You just get vigilant about it. It's like learning anything else. You know, if you want to learn a language, you can use these language apps, but you got to do it every day or once a week or whatever your goals are. And I think that's where people fall off. The weekend warriors, like some guys I know, they go out and they want to play on Saturday morning and they haven't touched a club in a couple of weeks and they expect to go out there and play great. And, you know, it's just if you don't practice your skills and, and stay sharp with your chops, you know, it's just like a, a, a guy who plays the trumpet. If he doesn't play the trumpet, he's not going to be very good if he stops for, for, for three months. Let me ask you that because sometimes guys don't have the time, right? Work gets in the way, so the only time they can come out is on – the Saturday before they play their round of golf, because I see it so many times and I've done it myself, admittedly. Hey, let's just go out there and we do very brief warming up, maybe be on the range 
for, I don't know, 10 minutes or so, be on the putting green for 10 minutes, and then it's like, hey, let's just go and play a round of golf. That's probably the absolute worst thing you can do. If you can't practice throughout the week, when you come to play one of those rounds on the weekend, how much time should you be practicing before you begin your round? Well, yeah, Ray, you sound like you sound like you may be describing your uh, your Saturday when you go to uh, Live Du Chien and you you get a, uh, a beverage and a hot dog and you're ready to go to the first tee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, we I recommend you know there's some great training aids out there that we uh, we. We use here at Skillmasters and in the academy. Like uh, uh, one is called the Orange Whip. Wonderful. You get up there, and if you don't have time to hit balls, you just swing that Orange Whip, and it just does so much great things for your golf swing. It loosens you up, it puts you on plane, it gets you kind of a flow. So if you can't hit a single ball, like you'll see a lot of these golfers, including tour players, they carry the Orange Whip in their uh, in their golf bag. I highly recommend it. That's the best money you could spend on just something that's easy and simple. Uh, and, and at least spend a couple of minutes uh, on the putting green. And the worst thing that I see, you know, at Skillmasters, I talk about this with our training aids and drills, is do not go to the putting green and just drop a ball and put a 15-foot putt. That's the worst thing you can do. That's not doing anything. Maybe giving you a little bit of feel. What you need to do is go on the putting green and putt some two-foot putts, three-foot putts, and then putt some really long putts, like 40-foot putts, 35-foot putts, to get the feel for the green. But a 15-foot putt, the difference between a 15-footer on a, with a tour player or an average golfer is negligible statistically. So the, the, the tour player is not making any more 15-footers than you are. So it makes no sense to practice a 15-footer. All you're doing is giving yourself negative thoughts, thinking, oh, I should make this 15-footer. Well, the tour player is probably not going to make the 15-footer. So, But the tour player is going to make that 3- or 4-footer, and they're going to take that 40-footer, and they're going to run it real close to the hole and give themselves a gimme. And uh, so if you have a couple of minutes before, do not putt 15-foot putts. Go out and putt short putts all around the, and get a nice positive feel, you know, two-foot putts, three-foot putts, and then do some really long putts, Ray, and that's going to give you kind of a feel for the greens. You know, you gave me that advice before, and I actually utilized that the last time I played around. I didn't spend as much time on the range. I spent most of my time on the putting green, and I did what you said. I did the three-foot putt, and I practiced that a ton. Then I went to, the, like, the 20 to 30 feet in length on the putt, and you know what happened? My putting was very, well, very good for me. I, I'll, I'll, it wasn't good. It was very good for me. But by the end of the round, I drained on hole number 18. I drained a 28-foot long putt. So you put in the work. It matters. What was that What was that 20-foot long putt? For double? Oh, that was for double. <laughs> <laughs> It was for double. It was it, it, it was for double. Getting to the green is always an adventure. Brother, before I let you go, there's something that you've brought up over and over again during our conversations the last few weeks, and that, that's the, 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 the thing that you live by, that you make sure to preach through the Skillmasters app, the, the three letters. Go ahead. I'd be remiss if I didn't allow you to talk about that once more. The GPA, the grip, posture, and alignment, that's a... That's a, uh, a huge thing, and we're constantly working on that GPA, the grip, posture, and alignment, consistency, 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 always doing it. Uh, the tour players, they have a pre-shot routine. You watch them. When you watch golf this weekend, watch and see what they do before they hit the ball. There's not a single one just throws the ball on the ground on the tee, walks up, and just hits it. They all have a very concise, precise pre-shot routine. Thomas, appreciate your time as always, brother. Uh, enjoy your weekend and enjoy the Masters next week, my friend. We'll talk soon. Awesome. We'll see you out there on the link soon, man.
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and Company as we broadcast live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. I'm Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3. I'm joined by the producer extraordinaire and birthday boy, Dawson Iserlo, a.k.a. D-Lo. Earlier on today's show, we gave you our predictions for the division winners for the American League and the three wildcard teams. Just to give you a, a recap here, we said... Yankees will win the East, Twins will win the Central, Astros will win the West. Both Dalton and I agree on those three. We differ on the wild cards. We both say Blue Jays and Mariners will be the two of the other wild card teams, but he says the Angels, the fighting MVPs, the little MVPs will be the third wild card team. I actually say the Texas Rangers will be that third wild card team. As much as we talk about the AL East, I think the AL West will be the toughest division this year in baseball at least in the american league now it's time for us to do the national league i let you go first before birthday boy i'm going to do it again who do you like to win the national league east central and west divisions so in the east you know i actually differ from uh, our buddy chris in atlanta and and you kind of echoed that a little bit thinking the mets are the main concern i think the biggest competition of the braves will be the phillies i think they overcome some of those injury issues Ooh. um i think they've got some guys that are going to be x factor players both in the rotation and the line i'm looking for alec bohm to have a big bounce back kind of you know take a step in his progression as an infielder for them um, I think I, I think they made some additions, and so I think the Phillies give the Braves the biggest run. But I do think the Braves have the most complete roster. Um, they get some of the guys back, as you mentioned. They look like they're pretty healthy right now. We'll see if that stays the case. Um, a little bit concerned about the depth in the rotation um, behind the guys that you talked about, Strider and Freed, and some of those guys. But I think it's enough. I think the Braves win around 93, 94 games, and I think that wins them the division. Um, in the Central, this one is. It's, it's kind of similar to the AL Central. This could go a lot of different ways. I think, you know, your two favorites would be St. Louis and Milwaukee, but uh, both of those teams have been a little bit up and down over the past few seasons. Um, I think the wild card in this situation is the Cubs coming through. I think the Cubs made some moves, some sneaky moves, to bring in some guys to make their roster better. They've been down, of course, um, but you have a couple of guys in there that make me think maybe the Cubs – surprise some people I'm not confident enough to pick them to win the division but I do think the Cubs are better than we expect I'll take the St. Louis Cardinals um, I think look that infield with Goldschmidt some of those guys they have is just a little bit too much I think Tyler O'Neill has a big year in the outfield as well so I will take St. Louis in the central um, but not feeling super confident about that division at all and then you know over in the west it's been the Dodgers division for quite a while now and you know you had the year where the Giants came out of nowhere and were a great team last year they took a step back down to earth the Padres are desperately fighting to be relevant in that division and they are spending money like there's no tomorrow 
I think this is finally the year it pays dividends for the Padres over there. And I think, um, look, I think the Dodgers did take a step back, maybe a small step back, but I think they did take a step back, um, and they lost a couple of guys. They didn't spend as much as they've spent in previous seasons. So I think the Dodgers lose that division to the Padres by just a few games. But, again, the Giants, for me, are a team that's going to linger and maybe make things interesting in the West. So those are, those are my division winners. I will take Braves, Cardinals, and Padres. I believe the Braves have more talent top to bottom than the Mets do. The Mets have some injuries to deal with, plus the Mets always get in their own way. Always. I believe Verlander and Scherzer will be competitive and they will push each other, being former teammates and World Series champions. They're great competitors, and that's a, a, a tremendous one-two punch. Do I believe those two guys are going to be able to pitch 200 innings each? And I, I Probably not. I still like Atlanta to win it, to win the East. In the Central, I just can't not pick Milwaukee here. And the reason why is because their starting three pitchers in their rotation are better than anyone St. Louis has. Now, do the Brewers have a bat in the lineup like Goldschmidt? No, they don't. But I just feel like St. Louis may take a step back this year. I agree with you. Just like in the American League, I think the Central is going to be the weakest of the three divisions in the National League. I do believe the Cubs are going to be vastly improved. And I don't think it's going to be easy for Milwaukee. And I feel like Milwaukee probably also is going to have to make a move at the deadline. Not like the move they made last year where they traded their closer and then they decided to go in the tank. I will say this. I have Yelich having a bounce-back season, and hopefully my fantasy team will be better for it. That would be huge for them if he could. But I do like Milwaukee because of their first three pitchers, I think, are the the best three of any of these teams in the Central, and I think that matters. In the West, it feels like the Padres' time. After getting over the hump and beating Big Brother in the Dodgers in the playoffs last year, and then making a run all the way until the National League Championship Series where they kind of, let's be honest, they ran out of gas, it felt like. If healthy, they could win the National League. And they were aggressive this offseason yet again. All right, They are throwing all the money they can at this. They're trying everything they can to get better. Do they have enough starting pitching? Maybe. Maybe, but that lineup is filthy. If healthy, right? That's the big thing for San Diego. Is there going to be, are they going to be healthy enough? But my three division winners, I like the Braves to win the East, the Brewers to win the Central, and I like the Padres to win the West. All right, let's switch over to wild card. Um, for this, you know, I think the I think the National League wild card is much like the American League. When you're letting three teams in, I think there's always going to be a cluster around the third spot. But there usually is going to be one or two teams, I think, that are safely in. And for me, I have to go with the logic I used in the division battles. I said I think the Phillies do it, and I think they challenge the Braves, so I think they are the first wild card team. I do think they beat out the Mets. 
you brought up some points about the Mets that I agree with. I, you know, and Justin Verlander's been look. He has been healthy in his career. The Tommy John injury was a bit of an outlier, but he's at the age where it becomes much more difficult to stay healthy. Same thing with Scherzer. Been a workhorse throughout his career, but the mileage, the odometer is pretty, uh, you know, pretty well run for both of those guys. So I do wonder about the health there. And of course, they lost Edwin Diaz. That's a big piece in the back end that they have to figure out. I also just don't trust the Mets lineup all that much. So that's why I have the Phillies ahead of the Mets. That being said, I do have the Mets as my second wild card team, um, and I think part, now one thing that's interesting is that you talk about the strength of schedule, and, and the schedules have changed now. Of course, everyone's going to play everyone in the major leagues for the first time, um, but the Mets do have to play the Phillies and the Braves a lot, right? So that makes things more difficult for them. Whereas a team in the Central, you get more games against the Pirates, you get more games against the Reds. So that's that's that comes into play for me. But I do think the Dodgers make the playoffs. I don't think the Dodgers take that much of a step back. So I do think they are the third NL wildcard team. Over the Cubs? Yes, over the Cubs and over uh, also over Milwaukee. I mean, yeah, over Milwaukee as well. Yeah. Um, and But the reason I even considered it, I actually considered either having the Mets or the Dodgers out, is because that team, if Milwaukee or Chicago is really good, they get all those games to beat up on the bottom of the division. Now, in the West, you might have the same situation with the D-backs and the Rockies. We'll see if those teams are improved or you know, or not. But I do think that matters in the Central. But in the end, I do think the Dodgers and the Mets are too talented not to make the playoffs. So they're my second and third wildcard teams behind the Phillies. All right, we have a couple minutes. Who's your American League champion? Who's your National League champion? So, you know, in the American League, it, it – it's pretty simple for me. There's a team that's been playing pretty well for a while now. <laughs> and they do reside a couple hours west here of the uh, Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. It's going to be the Houston Astros again. And, and it's one of those, like, I. it doesn't feel like they'll actually win another AL pennant because it's just so hard to do that as many times as they have. Um, but you've got a pretty good indicator that they're going to be in the mix. And who do, who do I trust the most in the postseason in the American League right now? It's them. Um, I think the Yankees are the biggest threat, but the Astros just own the Yankees in the postseason, and I can't pick against them right now. So I'll take the Astros in the American League. In the National League, I think it's going to be fun. Um, I really, really do. And I think the Braves, the Mets, the Phillies, the Padres, the Dodgers, I think all those teams um, you know, kind of play their way into what should be a really intriguing finish. I think the Padres get over the hump this year. And I think they finally and, – and look, you know, they have some uh, some interesting – they kind of have the play-the-villain role a little bit in them with some of their guys in Machado and Tatis. Um, they have a little bit of that kind of edgy thing. Now, the Dodgers aren't exactly America's sweetheart either. Oh, no. So that's going to be a <laughs> really fun battle out west, right? I don't know how many of those games I'll be able to stay up and watch uh, given the scenarios that I've already discussed about how I feel about West Coast time slots. But – um, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I think the Padres get it done in the end, though, and I will actually – do we want to do World Series now or do we want to wait on that? you want to give yours? I'll give – won't you go ahead? You can do it. You do your World Series, too. I'll take I'll take the Padres over the Astros. I, I will. And, oh. it, and I'm not going to give a homer pick. That's not what I'm here for. And, again, I do think the Astros are the most complete team in baseball, and if I had to pick a best team in baseball, I would pick the Astros. But it is so difficult to repeat – in today's day and age of baseball, it's been so long. That it is. And I think the hunger of getting there for the first time for the Padres is what wins out in the end. So I will take San Diego to win the World Series in six games over the Astros.
Whew. All right. Astros win the AL. They'll face the Padres, and you got the Padres winning the World Series. I want to pick the Astros. I really do. They've been the most consistent, best team in the last six years in the American League, year in, year out. And you're right. They own the Yankees in the postseason. But that's not the threat. The threat comes from our friends in Canada. I'm picking the Blue Jays to win the American League as a wildcard team. I think they battle the Yankees. I think the Yankees end up winning the division. But I think the Blue Jays make a move, get a veteran at the deadline. Because I feel like they know it's all in time for them. And they have the lineup. I think maybe they go get another arm. And I think Toronto wins the American League. And that's going to set up a World Series rematch from my childhood. Braves, Blue Jays in the Fall Classic. And, of course, I'm going with the Braves to avenge the childhood trauma for RP3. <laughs> so, you know, you can count one of these, one of our hosts, to uh, not go with a homer pick, not so much on the other. <laughs> By the way, you didn't give I, your NL. Who you got in the NL wild card? You didn't mention that. Oh, that's right. We skipped up. My bad. NL wild card, I got Mets, Dodgers, and Phillies. We, we, we had the same. I just, I wanted to kind of try to pick the Cubs there. I just, I, I think they're still a year away. And even with Phillies injuries that they're having to deal with, they're still going to be in the mix. And look, the, the, the East is going to be brutal. It's just going to be brutal. So there you go. Those are our picks. We'll share those on social media later on today. Of course, they will be absolutely and positively incorrect and wrong. Apparently, someone is so upset about our picks, they're trying to call me while I'm live on the air. Um, so thanks for that. <laughs> Whoever's not on my phone from Karen Crow. I'm not going to be answering the phone right now, but thanks anyway. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up today's show next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are two types of sports reporters. Those who are respected for their ability at building relationships with coaches and players. And here's our game plan. Then there are those whose method of reporting is getting hammered with a college football team at Pat O's. We're going streaking! We'll let you guess which one RP3 is. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, man, don't forget, we got great live baseball here on the Delta Media family of stations. Number one ranked LSU will begin a three-game series against top 10 ranked Tennessee tonight. Tune into all the action from Alex Box Stadium right here on the game. Pre-game begins at 6.30. First pitch is set for 7 o'clock. And the defending World Series champion Houston Astros, meanwhile, will begin their title defense tonight as they open up the season at home against the Chicago White Sox. Pre-game begins at 5.30. First pitch is set for 6.08. And you can hear it all the thrilling action on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM. 
want to take a moment to thank our guest, Les East from CrescentCitySports.com, Thomas Wartell, golf coach for Skillmasters. Our poll question of the day, we asked you, the pitch clock for Major League Baseball, will it be a good thing or a bad thing? And the final results here on Dawson Iserlo's birthday, 39% say it will be good, 29% say too early to tell, 27% say bad, 5% say I enjoy four-hour games. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day and left your comments on Facebook and Twitter. We appreciate you making us part of your morning. We'll be back on the air tomorrow, but be broadcasting live from Big D as I'll be in town for the NCAA Women's Final Four. And we'll be broadcasting from downtown Dallas tomorrow morning, getting you prepared for the Final Four matchup for the LSU Tigers. For the producer extraordinaire Dawson Isolo, I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, but until then, be safe out there, be kind to one another. Footnotes with Kevin Foote is up next right here on The Game.